Welcome to the podcast of New Creation Christian Center. I am Pastor Marquise Franklin, and I am excited that you would take the time to listen to our latest sermons and what God is doing in this ministry. New Creation Christian Center is in Seattle, led by Pastor Harold and Annis Franklin. And our statement is, come as you are and be transformed by the word of God, as stated in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now, I don't know what you're going through, but I want you to be encouraged by the word of God that is going to be shared today. Check it out and share it with somebody that may need it. Now, let's get into this week's message. Well, tonight, I'm, I'm preaching tonight because um, uh, Pastor, uh, well, not Pastor, Brother Tamron wasn't able to uh, make it, so I'm standing in, and uh, then uh, Obed will be preaching tomorrow morning. So we look forward to that. So you guys just get me today so we say oh <laughs> so there's a couple things that are, are new today I'll, and then we'll pray first thing is the message that I'm about to preach I haven't really preached here it's funny but I haven't and the second thing I'm not wearing a suit <laughs> I don't have a tie on and I feel out of place almost <laughs> But I have, a, I have a linen shirt on, which the Bible says is righteousness. So, <laughs> so I, I broke with tradition today. So, so let's pray. We'll get into today's, tonight's message. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for your love, your goodness, your precious presence that you give unto us. Lord, at all times, your word promises that you never leave us nor forsake us. And so, Lord, I pray as we speak the word tonight that you would speak through me, that you would give us ears to hear, and that you would fill us to overflow with your presence. Help us to be in places, take us to places that we haven't been, Lord, and the depths that we haven't explored yet in you. And Lord, we just thank you for being with us, drawing us to yourself and being our provider, our protector, our just our everything in this time and in this season. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen. So the funny thing, like I said, we haven't, I haven't really preached on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I almost took it for granted that we knew this. Now, when I, when I was coming up, I did not grow up in a what would be called a Pentecostal or charismatic or spirit-filled church. I went to a, a church that was a, a quiet church, as they say, a traditional black church, probably a traditional uppity black church. And so I didn't even know about this Holy Spirit thing until I had met Annas. And when I met Annas, he was telling me about speaking in tongues, and I had never heard anything about speaking in tongues before. So I didn't think much of it until we got married, and then God started to move on my heart to show me what it was. And I had gone through some books about how to be uh, filled with the Spirit by Oral Roberts, 
and uh, we had gone, it was like a series of books, and so I had learned it, and, but I didn't know what the next step was. And so as I was growing in my faith and trying to live my life according to the will of God, uh, I, was, I was walking to work one day, and at that time I was at the University of Washington, I think I was in my second or third year, and my mother had started a, uh, a security guard firm, and we were security guards for this roller rink in the central area on 23rd Avenue. So I was on my way to work, and as I was walking to the bus stop, I was just, you know, just thinking about God and praising God, and all of a sudden, out of my mouth came the sound, and it scared me. <laughs> I was like, oh, and I was like, what was that? And so then I was walking home. I kept walking because I was going to work. And as I meditated on what happened, the Holy Spirit told me that is what speaking in tongues is like. And so that's how I was introduced to the gift of tongues and speaking in tongues. And so from then on, I joined a, a church that was more spirit-filled. I call them spirit-filled, but traditionally they've been called Pentecostal churches. And the, the Pentecostal obviously refers to the day of Pentecost. And so that's what I'm going to try to under, let, help us to understand today is what it, does it mean to be filled with the spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And so as I was going through this, I... There were, this is pretty controversial in some circles. It's not really, shouldn't be, because as I was looking up the numbers, there's between 800,000 and a billion Protestant Christians, right? There's 2.5 Orthodox and Catholic Christians. And out of those 2.5, well, no, I'm sorry, there was 1.5 Catholics and Orthodox. But out of those 2.5 million together, about 250 to 280 million are what's called spirit-filled or tongue-talking people. And according to the statistics, this is the fastest-growing part of the church. Now, the thing about speaking in tongues is not limited to denomination. It says it's not limited to denomination. And the reason why, it is God moving amongst his people to give them the gift that Jesus promised to give us. Amen? Amen? And so I want us not to be afraid of what God has promised. So I'm going to go through some scriptures, and I actually sent this out to a few people, but I've added some things. So bear with me for those that I sent that email out to, or that text, I think it was. So the first thing we see is that Actually, in Joel, which was what um, Peter quoted on the day of Pentecost, he said, in the last days, everybody say, in the last days, he would pour out his spirit on all flesh, and he included men and women. Now, that in and of itself was a new thing. Now, there were women that were prophets in the Old Testament. Everybody knows that, right? There's, there's Deborah, who was not only a prophet, she was also a judge, which was in those days the head of the country, all right? 
So if you want to put it in her, our days, she was the president of the nation of Israel. There was Huldah. Now, most people don't even know who Huldah was, but Huldah was a, in the midst of Josiah's reforming of the children, the, the, the kingdom of Judah, they found the Bible. Everybody say, they found the Bible. That's a terrible thing that they didn't even know where it was. But when they read it, they realized they, had, they were in big trouble. So they went and found a prophetess, and her name was Huldah, H-U-L-D-A-H. And so she gave them the word of the Lord, and there's other instances of women in the, the Bible. But for the most part, women's role was a sec secondary role, but Joel announced that he was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, men and women, young and old. Amen? And so, and, and, and this is an indication that God was going to do a new thing. But it didn't come to pass until the Pentecost, day of Pentecost, in the book of Acts. But before that, or after that, so John the Baptist, in Matthew 3.11, introduced the concept of being filled with the Spirit. Now remember, Everybody remember who John the Baptist was, right? In Luke's gospel, we get a little bit more detail about John's life. John was born of an older mom and an older dad. Uh, his father's name was Zacharias. His mother's name was Elizabeth. And they had not had children. And it, um, Zacharias was a priest and his job was to burn incense. Now, for those that don't know anything about the, the temple world, and these all have significances, that's why I'm, I'm stopping and pausing a little bit. I don't want to go too long, but we'll try to cover the whole thing. The, I, the burning of incense was a symbol of the prayers of the saints. And so that's why the Bible says that he wanted the incense to burn constantly. Because he wanted, in other words, he wants prayers to be made constantly. Amen? And so when Zacharias is burning this incense, God says to him that I have heard your prayers. So there's always some kind of symbolism into what people do in the Bible. And so Zachariah and Elizabeth end up having a child, and the Bible says that when Mary was, who had already received the annunciation that she was going to have Jesus, went to visit Elizabeth, the Bible says that John was filled in, in the, with the Spirit from his mother's womb, which is, again, a new experience. And that's why John, Jesus proclaimed John as the greatest prophet that ever lived. And that's including Moses that's including Daniel, that's including Samuel, and that's a big statement, but that's Jesus, and I think he knows what he's talking about, amen. <laughs> so John, John has this special calling, and then he says in Matthew 3.11, he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire.
So John picks up for where Joel left off and starts to define what the spirit was, uh, God was going to do by his spirit. Amen? So we see this announcement, and then, of course, Jesus comes on the scene. Now, this is important because a lot of people, there's a lot of debate about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the, the main debate is, well, once we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. Has everybody heard that before? And that's true. There's nothing that does not contradict being filled with the Spirit. But we're going to see that in addition to the Spirit coming to live in them at the time of salvation, there is a second experience that we see in the book of Acts, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But John also says that he was going to recognize Jesus because the Spirit was going to come on him and remain on him. Everybody say remain. Now this was important because in the Old Testament, People got the Holy Spirit, but then he left them. He didn't stay with them always, right? The greatest example of that is Saul. You guys all know who Saul was. Not Saul, the one that wrote the Bible called Paul, but Saul, the first king of the kingdom of Israel, the son of Benjamin, or the son of Kish, who was also down the line, Benjamin. And as when Saul was anointed king, the Bible says the Spirit of God came upon him. And he began to prophesy. And then after that, the, then he was able to do whatever he wanted. And then in another incident, Saul, the Bible says the Spirit, the, the, the Spirit of the Lord departed from him. And an evil spirit troubled him. And then he had to call David to play so that he could chase this evil spirit away. So here we see the spirit coming and going. We also see the same thing in Samson's life. Samson, when he got into the flesh so deeply, the spirit, the Bible says, and the spirit, Samson didn't know that the spirit had left him. And that's how he got defeated by Delilah and the Philistines temporarily. Amen. But then the Bible does say the Spirit comes back on him. And that's how he was able to push the building down. So we see here, though, in, in uh, John chapter 1, verse, where are we here? 32 through 34, Jesus, or John says this. He said, and John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, which would be who? Who sent John to baptize with water? God did, right? Remember, Jesus asked the Pharisees that very question. Was the baptism of John from God or from men? And because they didn't want to commit themselves, they knew it was from God, but they didn't want to say it. So God is the one who's told John this secret about Jesus. He says, and he who sent me to baptize said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So Jesus set up, was set apart because the Spirit never left him. Now the other thing that's interesting about Jesus' ministry 
is that even though Jesus was born of a virgin, he's the only begotten son of God, his ministry does not start until the spirit comes upon him. Does everybody know that in the Bible? We don't hear anything about Jesus before this point. Although we do, I take that back. We do hear about when he was 12, he goes to the temple and he's reasoning, but he doesn't, they don't talk about him doing any miracles, but we know that he's special because even they recognize that there's something different about this 12-year-old. Amen? So John points him out as the one that is being the Spirit is now upon him and never leaves him. And he says, and because of that, the Father told me that this is the one. Amen? So Jesus, everybody say, Jesus needed the Spirit to work the works of God. You guys didn't say that with too much conviction. It kind of faded. Now, the reason why I say, yeah, I know the mask. I'm sorry, it's the mask. <laughs> the reason that's so important is because Jesus, it was not that Jesus did not and could not have done what he needed to do, but he did that for our sake. Because he then sends the promise that the Spirit is now going to come upon and live in us. Amen? So he is giving us an example of how the Spirit is going to work in us and through us as he falls upon us. Amen? And so we see this in John 14 and 17. It says this real quickly. Are you guys following me so far? All right. So John 14, 17 says this. And let's start at 16. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Everybody say it, forever. And then he tells us who he is. He says, he, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. So this is his promise that just like the Spirit led him in his earthly ministry, he is going to send his Spirit to us to lead us as we carry out his ministry that he left to the initial 12, the initial 120, and then everybody else that comes after that. Amen? So this is so important. The Spirit is coming to now abide in us. And this is one of the greater benefits of the new covenant as opposed to just the old covenant. Amen? The old covenant saints did not, there were spot people that were filled with the Spirit, but that was not the general uh, population in the kingdom of Israel. Everybody understand that and everybody knows that. Amen? All right. So let's move to the next point. The next point is Jesus announces the coming of the Spirit will follow his resurrection. And that's in John 7. Most of this stuff is in John, so we won't have to jump around. John 7, 37. 
And this is, now he also makes this same statement to the woman at the well, but we'll go back to that in a minute. But 37 says this, on that last day, the great day of the feast, now this is the Feast of Tabernacles, for those that don't know these things. Jesus lived about three and a half years, and if you look at the book of John, you see that he attends a number of feasts. This particular feast is the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus actually also participated in Hanukkah. Even though Hanukkah is not one of the set feasts of the Old Covenant. Amen? And I, well, maybe if you want to ask me about that later, I'll tell you, I'll show it to you, but we don't want to get sidetracked. But anyway, so on that last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart or belly, as some of the old old uh, translations say, will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the what? The Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this is a promise, everybody say a promise, that the Spirit would not only live with you, but he would overflow out of you. Okay? And, when, and obviously, when you're talking about waters, he's not talking about water, but he's talking about his presence flowing out of us. <clears throat> and so he, said, he makes this same statement to the woman at the well. He says here, let's go back and look at that real quickly. You guys know who the woman at the well was, right? And it says here in verse 10, 410, said so Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then she asks him, how are you going to get this water? You don't have anything to dip with. She stays in the natural. But Jesus takes her back to the spirit and says in verse 13, says, whoever drinks of the water, will this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up out into eternal everlasting life. So this is the same promise he gave at the Feast of Tabernacles to the woman at the well. He didn't expound on it for her, but he gave her that promise nonetheless. Amen? So we see that there is a promise of a gift of the Spirit that is going to come exuding out of us. So that is the power. Now the, the word, now we'll get into this in a little bit, but the word for Power is the word dunamis in the Greek word. And the word dunamis is the Greek or the, the root word from where we get the word dynamite. So this is power that is explosive power. There's also another word for uh, power used in other spots that is the word exousia, which is authority. And authority is the, the, uh, the, um, the permission to exercise power in the name of another. Okay? So we have both exousia, authority, and dunamis, power. 
Amen? So next, next scripture, Jesus does this. This is the, one of the most peculiar things that Jesus does. Of course, Jesus does a lot of things that are interesting, but he goes in, this is verse, chapter 20, verse 21 through 22. After his resurrection, he sees the disciples and Let's read it in 21, starting at 21. Jesus said to them, peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And so here we see he is giving them. Now, at this point, we would agree that Jesus is resurrected, right? He's in his glorified body, right? Right? And he is now, the, the disciples have accepted the resurrected Lord. Okay? So that tells us that they are what? They're believers. They're not, they're not pre-death res burial resurrection saints. They're now post-death burial and resurrection saints. But Jesus tells them, that there is another experience that they need to experience before they go out and do what he's getting, he's telling them to do. Amen. We're just halfway through this sermon, but our prayer is that God is already speaking a dynamic word to you personally. But don't keep it to yourself. We need you to testify. We want to hear what God is doing. Give us a call or text us at 425 686 8197. To let us know what God is doing. If you're on Facebook, contact us at facebook.com slash newcreationcc or on Twitter at newcreationwa. Now, let's tune in for the second half of this sermon. So we go, the next step is to into the book of Acts, which is of course the next book. And we see here, chapter 1. Verse 4, Jesus is giving them their last instructions before he's going up into heaven. And it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, a lot of people say, well, they didn't even know how long they were going to be there. Well, I think they did because I believe they knew that something was going to happen on the day of Pentecost. They just didn't know what. Now, remember, God is fulfilling everything on specific dates. Jesus is crucified on what day? He's, he's crucified on the Passover. So... If you go back to the, the first day of Pentecost, which is the giving of the law, that's when God came down, fire all over the mountain, right? Remember that? And he spoke to them in an audible voice. You guys remember that? In Exodus? And that's when, I think it's Exodus 20, he gives them the Ten Commandments. So the day of Pentecost mirrors the giving of the law. So now we have the law and the new covenant coming on the same day. Everybody say the same day. You think these are coincidences? No, they're not. God has 
pegged these dates out to mean something. Amen? So he tells them, uh, and then he goes on to say, so you're not going to be, you're going to be filled with the Spirit in a few days, and then they want to know, he says, therefore, when they had come together and asked him, say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he wants to get their eyes off of the natural kingdom and put their eyes on the spiritual kingdom that he is now giving them. And notice he says the same thing. You will receive power. Everybody say power. So here we see the word uh, exousia, authority, the, put under his authority in verse 5, and then we, or excuse me, 7, and we see the word dunamis, power, in verse 8. And so we know that a couple, couple chapters later, or next chapter, we see that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what's the evidence of the being filled with the Holy Spirit? There's fire that comes on them, right? And the fire on, in the form of a tongue. And the Bible says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues. Now, some say, well, that tongues means languages. And in this particular instance, they actually did speak with other languages because we, we, there's a whole group of people at the day of Pentecost. Now, one of the things about the day of Pentecost is that all Jews were commanded. There's three feasts they were commanded to attend. The Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Those are the three that they had to go to. So there's Jews from all over the world because at this time they had all been dispersed. There was only a small living in the nation of Israel. And so they said they all heard them speaking in their own language the glory and the things of God. Amen? So we see that they're speaking in languages. Now they're speaking in languages they never learned. Right? Paul, Peter didn't know all these languages. They didn't know all these languages God supernaturally gave them these languages. So this is a different experience, but it still has to do with tongues. Let me tell you why God choose, chose tongues to start the church. If you remember back in Babylon or Babel, there was an uprising led by Nimrod and they wanted to build the Tower of Babel. Remember that? And what did God say to keep them from building the tower? What did he do? He changed their tongues so that they couldn't communicate with each other. So when the church comes alive, he changes their tongue so that they would be united. So he used the tongue to divide in the first, but in the second, time tongues are used, he uses it to bring the church together. Now, it's funny how tongues now is still a divider because so many people, I mean, I was reading a church's website, and it really doesn't matter, the church, I mean, you could just pick one, and they were telling, they were explaining their doctrine and what they believe, and 
They believe that the Holy Spirit comes to every believer at the point of salvation. Don't have any problem with that at all. But then they said, therefore, we don't believe there is a second experience with the Holy Spirit, which is another way of saying we don't believe in tongues. And let me, let me say this. That's, those are men doctrines. Because as we're going to see in a minute, every person that began to be saved began to speak with other tongues and were filled with the Spirit as a second experience. Amen? So let's look at, let's go to it right now. The first time this happens, Acts chapter 8, verse 14. You guys getting out anything out of this? Is this too studious for you, or is it good? It's good. All right, so let's go to uh, 18, and, and uh, actually, let's go back to uh, 14. It says, now when the apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that the Samaritans, now remember, where were they supposed to go? To go to Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria. Why Samaria? Anybody know why Samaria? Huh? They were, Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom. So that, and they were, they were mingled Jews. That's why the, Jew, the Jews of Judea did not like the Jews of Samaria because they were not true Jews. But if you remember the woman at the well, she says, our father Jacob. Remember that? Well, who's Jacob? That's another way for Israel. So she's telling you she's Jewish, even though she's not living the law because we know the northern kingdom never followed God because of Jeroboam. Just a little commercial, but I wanted to just bring Samaria back into the picture. So here we have Samaria's being preached the gospel and had received the word of God, and this is because of one of the disciples, Philip, began to become an evangelist, and he started preaching all over the, that area. So he had received the word of God. They sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now notice what they said at the beginning. They said the word of God had come to the Samaritans. But they hadn't, and then it goes on to say, and I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, so let me just read the scripture here. Oops. Sorry, I got to things jump up here that I don't need. It says, for as yet he had not fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So if you're going to be baptized in Jesus' name, are you a Christian? Right, yeah, you are. You, you've been, you accepted Christ. The next step is baptized, right? You get baptized in water. And now he, they're going to be filled with the Spirit. And then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And Simon, when he saw that through the laying on the, the apostles' hand that the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. Now, you might say, well, how do you know they spoke in tongues? Well, it doesn't say here, but how would Simon know that they were filled with the Spirit if there was not a manifestation? Are you with me here? This is, this is Holy Ghost logic. <laughs> so you won't know 
I mean, a lot of people say, well, you know that people are filled with the Holy Spirit because of the fruit of the Spirit. And that's true, but the fruit of the Spirit does not happen immediately. Oh, we should all raise our hands and say amen on that because we're all trying to get love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering. Oh, got to start all over. <laughs> love. I mean, that's the way it is, right? It's not something that just, boom, I got it. I don't need it anymore. I'm walking in it. No, but something happened that Simon saw that made him see that the spirit, some, these people have something that they didn't have a second ago. Amen? Now, this is where a lot of people point to. Well, see, they don't talk about the tongues there, and that's true. They don't, but there's something that Simon saw that made him want the ability to lay hands on people so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. But let's go to Acts 10, and this is uh, the Cornelius incident. Actually, let's, before we go there, let's go to Acts 9, and we'll see uh, Paul. This is the Saul Paul, <laughs> the Saul that became Paul, excuse me, his experience. And we know he get, knocks off his horse. The spirit tells him, tells him to go to Damascus. And Ananias comes. And Ananias doesn't want to go. <laughs> he said, wait a minute, Lord, that's the guy that come to arrest me. What, what am I going to him for? He said, but no, go, because he's supposed to do some great things for me. And so um, in verse 17 of chapter 9, Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you might receive your sight, and everybody read the next line, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now again, it doesn't mention tongues, but we know that Paul says in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, what does he say about tongues and him and tongues? He said, I pray in tongues more than all of y'all. <laughs> That's the uh, Harold Franklin translation. But he said, I pray in tongues more than all of you. So this is the time in which he was filled with the Spirit. And Paul is where we get the teaching about how we're supposed to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Amen? Yes. Chapter 12 lists the gifts Chapter 14 tells us how we're supposed to operate in them. So we know that even though it doesn't tell us about Paul speaking in tongues here, we know that Paul spoke with tongues. Amen? And we'll get into why tongues in a minute. So the next thing we go to is chapter 10 and Cornelius. Everybody say Cornelius. Cornelius is the first Gentile believer. So we have a Samaritan already, who was not well looked upon by the Jews. Now, we're in the Gentile world, and they really don't like the Gentiles, right? So much so that God had to prepare Peter to even go, because he wouldn't have gone had he not seen the vision. Am I right? Does everybody agree with that? So God is going to have to do something with Peter to get him to see that he also has called the Gentiles just as he called the Jews. And so, in verse 44, it says, chapter 10, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. 
And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. Everybody say astonished. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And verse 47, 46, where am I? 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So here we see that the Gentiles, and then Peter says the same thing. Can anybody forbid water that these should be baptized who had received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he describes their experience as the same as his. Amen? This is the God uniting. Everybody say uniting. Tongues is supposed to unite. But men in the flesh always divide. Amen? And so, and not only this, we see this, this happens even before they're baptized. Imagine that. So you mean to tell me it can come out of order? <laughs> you know, everybody thinks that there's this order. You got to get saved first, then get water baptized, and then whatever else happens after that. But a lot of people, that's why a lot of people don't do street ministry. It's because, well, we can't get them saved because they can't be baptized in water. So they're not really saved until you baptize. That's, that's, those are the tricks of the enemy and the works of the flesh. If somebody accepts Christ in their heart, they're born again. Water baptism is just an outward sign. It, don't, it doesn't make you saved. You can, I, I, don't, I don't encourage this, but you can never get baptized and still go to heaven. Am I right? Everybody knows that, right? So let's not stumble over these things. But people have made doctrines out of this. Churches are founded on this. Amen? But we see here that the Spirit falls upon Cornelius just like it fell upon all the others. And then the final, um, for the, let me go, the, the, the scripture I referred to with Paul saying he spoke with tongues is 1 Corinthians 14, 18. And then in the final instance is Acts 19 which is, this is kind of a, a cute story. Verse, I think it's verse 1 through 5. And it says, at, and this is at Ephesus, and it happened while Apollos in, uh, was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Or some, the old King James says, since you believed. So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. This is me. Because I, I know, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I knew that doxology. So I knew there was a Holy Ghost somewhere. I just didn't know what his job was. So then he says to them, we have, you know, and he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid their hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So now we have an additional thing is that they begin to prophesy in addition to speaking with tongues. 
So, and I know I'm going long, so I hope this isn't too long. I know it's hot in here, so bear with me. So why, why all this? Well, I told you the first thing is that tongues is to, to, to unite us. Everything in the body of Christ that Jesus did was to keep the church together. Unfortunately, through the works of the flesh, the ambitions of men, selfishness, you name it, it's all in there, the church has been divided. And even when Martin Luther tried to bring back in the faith, we're, we're saved by faith and not works, even he stayed where he was and would not include some of the brethren that were also turning away from the traditional Catholic church at that time. So we have a, a tendency to divide instead of unite in the church, and that's been unfortunate. But God's spirit unites, and he never divides. Amen? So the first thing is the, God's, the tongues were to unite us. The second thing was that the tongues are confirmation that we have received the Holy Spirit. It's the evidence that so that we know that it's happened. Amen? Like I said, in addition, we get the fruit of the Spirit, but the tongues is the first indication that you are now filled with the Spirit. The second thing, it's a confirmation of what Jesus said was going to happen, and it's an indication that not only do we have the Holy Spirit, but we also have been given the power that Jesus promised we would have. Everybody say power. Well, what do we need power for? Well, the Bible says you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You will cast out devils. Most, <laughs> I, I, I'm, this is a blanket statement and it's, it's not 100% true, but it's mostly true, okay? Most people that cast out devils or pray for the sick are usually people who speak with tongues. Usually the people that don't speak in tongues don't touch that. They stay away from that. That's not the, a, a full, true, 100%, but most of the time that's true. If you're looking for all the, the, the what they call healing ministries, almost all of them are spirit-filled people. And you might say, well, why is that? Because there is a boldness that comes when you're filled with the spirit that you didn't have before you had that experience. And just look at the disciples. Look what happened to them after the day of Pentecost. Here, these people are hiding away and afraid and not sure what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit falls on them and Peter stands up and starts preaching. And then they go to the, the temple and they raise up the man, that, the crippled man at the gate, and they get arrested for it. And we all know Peter didn't want to get arrested when Jesus got arrested, right? That's why he said, I don't know that guy. <laughs> I don't know that guy. I said, I don't know that guy. Three times, remember, that's why I did that. <laughs> but now he stands up and he freely gets arrested for doing what Jesus told him to do. There's a change that takes place when you get filled with the Spirit. And finally, everybody say, finally. <laughs> you can all wake up now. The, spirit, the tongues is a prayer language that builds you up in your faith. 
There's two, three places in the Bible that says tongues is to build you up. Jude 1, 20 and 21. It says, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And then in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 4, Paul says, when you pray in the Spirit, you edify. The word edify is another word for building up, right? You edify yourself, not others. That's why he said if you're going to pray in the tongues or speak in tongues in a congregation, you should have an interpretation or, and this is the part they always forget, this is where a lot of people say, no, you're not supposed to speak in tongues in church. But he says, if you do speak in tongues, speak in tongues to yourself. He didn't tell you don't speak in tongues. He said, do it quietly if you don't have an interpreter. But if you have an interpreter, which is somebody that can interpret tongues, and that's a gift, then you can speak a word in tongues and somebody will interpret that word. And then in uh, Romans 8.26, he says, we don't know what to pray for as we ought to. You've always read that, right? But the Spirit makes intercession through us with what? Groanings that cannot be uttered. Now, Paul also says that when you speak in tongues, your mind does not understand what you're saying. So tongues, you don't even know what you're saying unless the Spirit reveals it to you. And a lot of times when I pray in tongues, I pray in tongues for every day for 50 minutes. You might say, well, why do you time it? Well, I just do. <laughs> and then after I finish praying in tongues, I then get my list and pray over the list. And I'm, while I'm praying in the spirit, I'm asking God to tell me how to pray for these other people. And that's the good thing about tongues is I can be praying and my mind can be praying something else. So that I've got a two-way thing going on here. You talk about a multitask. Hey! <laughs> That's the ultimate multitask. But so these are the things that come when you get the, the, the ability to speak in tongues. But then, like I said, there is also a gift to interpret. And when I was growing up in the church, there were people that would speak a message in tongues, and then somebody would then interpret that message. It's not a translation, but it's an interpretation. And I have done that on one occasion where somebody, or I think I was me, I, I spoke out in tongues, and then I gave the interpretation of what the Spirit had given me. Now, all of these are things of faith. You have to trust that what God is telling you is what he said in tongues. So we'll get into that later. That's a different lesson. So... When you, so if you want the Holy Spirit, we have the Spirit in us. But the tongues part comes later through the laying on of hands. Does everybody see that? Everybody understand that? It shouldn't be controversial. It's not. It's just what the scriptures teach. And, it's no, and, and let me say this too. I, then I am getting ready to close. Um, a lot of people have exalted tongues to make them think that they're greater than somebody else because they speak in tongues and they don't. That's, you, that's already the wrong spirit because that's a what? That's a dividing spirit. 
If you're trying to tell you I'm better than you because you don't speak in tongues and I do, you're already falling into the category of the devil because he's using it to divide. But you're no different just because you speak in tongues because I know some tongue-talking folks that are just as nasty and ugly as those people that don't speak in tongues. So tongues is not a, a, a special thing that makes you holier than anybody. But it's a gift that God gave to us so that we can learn to build ourselves up in the most holy faith and do the things that he called us to do. Amen? All right, I'm done. So, let's stand. So there's a lot to take in. So those that have not spoken in tongues, I would just encourage you to step out and allow God to fill you with the Spirit. It's not a... It's not something that you got to fight with. For, fight. I mean, I know the old days, they, they have you here all day trying to get you to speak in tongues. If you looked at what the scripture says, it says Peter, James, and John laid hands on them, and what happened? They spoke in tongues. And I believe that that's how it happens. So when you're ready for it, there's no pushing. You don't have to be prodded. I don't need to make you feel guilty. When God was drawing you, he's going to draw you, and it's going to happen. Amen. And you don't have to wait for people to lay hands on you. You can go home and say, God, fill me with your spirit here. And then God will do it. I just told you I was walking to the bus stop on the way to work. The, most, the smokiest place I ever worked in my life. Man, I had to, my clothes were so smoky every day. Annis wouldn't even let me come in the house. I had to take my clothes outside. Of course, she does that now. Anyway, uh <laughs> before I come in the house. Remember that, babe? Those smoky clothes. Whew. I mean, they had, that was, those are the days where you could smoke inside. So, anyway, I don't want to get sidetracked. So, but God filled me with the Spirit as I was going to that bus stop. So there is no limit to God. We need to learn to take the limits off of God and let Him do what He wants to do through us, in us, and for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I speak your word over the, the people that desire to be filled with your spirit. Lord, I rebuke the devil that would try to bring fear. I rebuke the flesh that would try to say, I don't want to give God that much control over my life. But Lord, I pray that you would just, we just surrender ourselves to you and ask that you would have your way in our lives. Lord, you're calling us to a deeper place in you. And this is one of those deep places that we need to walk, not be afraid, knowing that you are our loving Father that don't, won't harm us in any way, shape, form, or fashion. So we put our trust in you and ask that you would fill us with your spirit, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, and then use us for your glory as we continue to surrender to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, and everyone said, Amen and amen. So we are going to receive the offering real quickly. And like I said, I don't know, can they call you Dr. Obed now? Because since you're two years into it? <laughs> June next year, okay. You know, when, they, they, um, when medical students come into the school, they start calling them doctors right away. So I was just going to give you that. <laughs> Your Dr. Obed will be preaching tomorrow. So we look forward to that.
So let's pray for those that, and if you want to pray, we can pray afterwards. You can come on up and we, if you want to receive the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we can pray for you tonight if you want that. But if not, we will uh, close and we'll be dismissed. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gifts of your people. Continue to bless them as they are faithful to you. And Lord, help us to remain faithful even in the times where things are not going the way we expect them to go. But we know that you're never caught off guard, Lord. So thank you for your word. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for doing in us what you promised to do. In Jesus' mighty name, bless your people. Let be with us as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. We thank you for listening to today's sermon. And we pray that you are impacted to become the new creation that God desires. We at New Creation Christian Center invite you to come join us for service Saturday at 7 p.m. or Sunday at 11 a.m. located at 5150 South Cloverdale Street, Seattle, Washington. Also, feel free to visit us online at newcreationwa.org. New Creation Christian Center, the path to genuine life where you can come as you are and be transformed by the Word of God.